Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Well, it's wonderful this morning to gather as one church and as one service and do something a little different. I'm looking forward to morning tea as well. In our reading from Luke today, Jesus does something different. So far in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been teaching, preaching and healing people, and he's been gathering a following. But today we read in verse 51 that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This verse is a pivot in Luke's account of Jesus' ministry. The rest of the book is, lo- is no longer a ministry tour around Galilee, but a solid and consistent journey towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. People at the time didn't often travel, but once a year, faithful Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. Jesus joins them, knowing it will be his last. Today's passage in Luke seems like a bunch of disparate sayings and teachings. Jesus gets rejected, his disciples get fired up, and Jesus talks with some nameless potential followers about following him. Ultimately, this passage, and indeed much of Luke 9, is about the shape of discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Today we'll see that it means at least three things that all relate to each other. Discipleship, following Jesus, is about cross-shaped passion, cross-shaped commitment, and having a cross-shaped spirit. So firstly, cross-shaped spirit. As Jesus sets his sights on Jerusalem, his group travels south from Galilee to Jerusalem. In order to get there, they travel through Samaritan country. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. But Jesus didn't buy into such prejudices, and he told stories about the Good Samaritan. He met with a Samaritan woman by a well, and in our text today, he heads through a Samaritan town. Unfortunately, Jesus isn't welcomed in the town. Samaritans sometimes attacked traveling Jews, but here it seems they didn't welcome him because he was off to Jerusalem to worship rather than their temple at Sinai. The disciples get angry and ask, Lord, do you want us to call fire down to destroy them? 
This sounds like overkill, but it reveals that the disciples deeply trust in Jesus' power. The great prophet Elijah, when he was threatened, called down fire from heaven on his enemies. And it's clear that the disciples believe Jesus is just as good as Elijah. But no, Jesus rebukes his disciples. Jesus has not come into the world to judge the world. That will come later. He is going to Jerusalem to save it. Jesus will not enforce his reign through violence. Rather, he will usher in his reign by suffering on a cross to win us peace. This sort of cross-shaped passion has made a big impact in Hong Kong recently. You may have read in Bishop Cam's sermon last week of how protesters, both Christian and non-Christian, sang hymns as they protested a bill that would have allowed the Chinese government to arrest people in Hong Kong and take them back to China. Hundreds of thousands of people protested as Hong Kong police beat protesters with batons. So what did the protesters do? They sang hallelujah to the Lord, singing hymns which calmed down protesters and police alike. It's illegal in Hong Kong to disband religious gatherings, so when police tried to break up protests, the protesters would sing hallelujah to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the police had no legal right to disband what had become a church service. Cross-shaped passion is a mark of Christian discipleship and is something we should emulate as we represent Jesus here in Dolby. The second characteristic is cross-shaped commitment. And it's a quality that shapes discipleship for Jesus' disciples. In verse 57 to 62, Jesus deals with three potential disciples. They all seem to want to follow him, and they all have something to show us about the shape of discipleship. The first is a starry-eyed and passionate person. I will follow you wherever, they, wherever you go, they say in verse 57. Jesus' response seems curt. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's a hard word, but it is true. Jesus lived an ordinary life as a carpenter's son then spent three years as a travelling preacher and teacher until he was crucified. During his public ministry, Jesus didn't have a mansion to go home to. He didn't have an adoring family to support him. He didn't even have a ute or a donkey to get him around. Jesus relied on handouts and had no home. As this starry-eyed would-be disciple approaches him, Jesus is being straight with him. And make sure he knows what he's in for. Following Jesus may require you to part with money. It may mean you have to leave your job. It may also mean that you have to leave your house in order to follow him sincerely. You may know people who have given up on following Jesus because to do so would mean giving up their creature comforts. But at the same time, history is littered with faithful saints who willingly gave up their homes, their jobs, their passions in order to follow Jesus. The second potential disciple is one Jesus calls. He says, follow me. This disciple isn't willing and they find an excuse. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Verse 59. Now theologians are divided about what is meant by burying my father. 
It's unlikely that the person's dad has died with a funeral that day because they're not with their father mourning. It's possible that the person's father is still alive and they are waiting for them to die to get the inheritance. Or even that the person's father isn't even sick and they're using their parents as an excuse. Either way, Jesus' response is sobering. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The third potential disciple again raises a family question. This final disciple exposes for us how imminent Jesus' mission is and how important discipleship is. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He doesn't have a few days or even a few hours. His response speaks of the imminence of his death and how important his mission is. In our Old Testament reading today, we saw how Elijah allowed his disciple Elisha to go home and farewell his father. But notice how once he does this, he comes back and burns his plow. Jesus is saying, my mission is more imminent and more important than even the super prophet Elijah. With ancient plows, a farmer would have to look ahead to make sure that they went in a straight line. If they looked back from the plough, they would lose their line and their field would be ruined. Jesus is telling us that cross-shaped commitment is single-minded. And he calls us with Jesus to fix our eyes on his mission in the world. Notice that we're not told whether any of these disciples actually followed Jesus. We're left asking whether they counted up the cost and found cross-shaped commitment too much for them. This is because Jesus is asking us this very same question today. Are we willing to give up our creature comforts in order to follow Jesus? Are we willing to let the dead bury their own dead and follow Jesus instead? Are we ready to embrace cross-shaped commitment and single-mindedly commit to Jesus. Cross-shaped spirit. The final quality that we see shaping discipleship in our readings today is a cross-shaped spirit. If the first two qualities of discipleship got you feeling a little down, this one is uplifting. In Galatians 5, we're encouraged to walk by the spirit And that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These qualities show us what our lives should look like if we are committed to passionately following Jesus. As we allow God's Holy Spirit to fill us more and more, these qualities will be the measure of our lives. And we won't have time or space for sexual immorality, hatred, discord, drunkenness, and the like. Jesus was filled with the Spirit, and we should pray that God would fill us with his Spirit too. As you might know, this passage, Galatians 5, is at the heart of the media firestorm surrounding former Wallabies player Israel Folau. Folau's GoFundMe page uh, for his legal expenses was shut down by the site, who cited a breach of their policies. The Australian Christian Lobby then resurrected the fund on their own website, and within a couple of days, ordinary Aussies pledged over $2 million to support Israel Folau's legal proceedings against Rugby Australia for sacking him. Now, I have more questions around this saga than I have opinions. 
did Falau's post? Did Falau post what he posted because he wanted people to turn to Jesus, or did he have another motive? Was there really a clause in his contract about posting on the internet, or was this unspoken? Falau's case is dividing our nation, and I'd love to hear what you think about it over morning tea. Whether Israel Falau is in the right is up to the court, and ultimately, I have no right to condemn him or endorse him from the pulpit. But I think the reason that this has captured the Aussie Christians is because it causes us to ask ourselves the most basic questions about our allegiance to Jesus. Am I prepared to give up my passions and possibly lose my job in order to follow Jesus? Am I so in love with Jesus that I will commit to following him no matter what it costs me? Am I so filled with God's Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life? Do love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control mark how I live? And are these things part of what I'm known for? Friends, as a church, on our most basic level, we are disciples of Jesus. In our readings today, we learn that the shape of discipleship is cross-shaped passion, cross-shaped commitment, and a cross-shaped spirit. I'd like to finish today with a poem by Adrian Plass called When I Became a Christian. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, Amen, I think. I think, Amen, Amen, I think. I think I say, Amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you just run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord. I say, Amen, I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with the sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, a bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit, a bit, I say, amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can we just run through that again? You say, I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made up my mind. And I say, Amen, a bit. Well, I sat back and thought a while, then tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, Amen, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say Amen. I need to get it clear. Can you just run through that again? You say that I will need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, Lord, now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen, I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said. I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is the manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son and tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need and man enough to go? Man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? 
man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear. And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue and man enough to cry? When nails break your body, are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, Oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen. Amen, 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 Amen. Amen, Amen, Amen. I said, O oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen. <laughs>